Um, hey, one quick announcement. This is just kind of weird. It's uncomfortable. It doesn't really belong in worship, but we as a staff cannot figure out another way to do this. Um, every year around the holiday season, although this year it's been all year long, um, people use the a pastor's name to try to get you to buy gift cards or send them money. And they use, they've been using my name like crazy this year. And um, I just want to give you a couple of heads up about it so that you don't fall prey. Um, if you get a text and it's not from my cell phone number, and if you don't have my cell phone number, I'm not going to send you a text, okay? Um, if you get a, a, an email that says Pastor Trent Walker or Trent Walker as the name that shows up, not the email address, click on it. And if it does not end with communityreform.org, you can be guaranteed it's not from me. So we've had it this week. The staff was getting texts, and we plugged every hole we can come up with. We don't know where they're getting the information. There's some people they're emailing or texting whose numbers I don't have in my contacts. I have two... Uh, two-level encryption on my accounts. The church has two-level encryption. We don't know where they got the information, um, but you know how it is. Your information is everywhere. Um, this week, they were texting, um, like, for instance, we were in the middle of a funeral, or just before a funeral, and I'm standing in the gym, and Alicia uh, gets, the person who does all the facilities here, she gets a text from me. I'm standing six feet away from her saying, I'm in a meeting. It's very important. We got to keep this secret, but could, I've got a favor. Could you reach, could you text me back? And so she did. She goes, I'm standing here right with you. Well, yeah, it's still a secret. So they'll play it and they'll play it and they'll play it. Now, if you're gutsy and you want to keep them occupied um, by going back and forth with them, feel free. Here's the thing. Here's the personal thing. I really appreciate the fact that when it happens, people let me know. But if 400 people let me know, I have to get back to them each time because I don't want them to think that I didn't appreciate the heads up. If you get such a thing, and it does, it does not end, the email address itself does not end in communityreform.org, it's not me. And if I don't have your cell phone number and you don't have mine, I'm not going to text you. Um, but if, if you're at all concerned, call the church office and ask them if I sent such an email. I will not ask you to buy gift cards to surprise the staff, especially not gift cards for Steam, which is a gaming, online, game. online gaming, it's not going to happen. I'm not going to ask you to buy um, iTunes cards, which you might. <laughs> I'm not going to, buy you to ask you to buy iTunes cards. I'm not going to ask you to go to Best Buy and get things and then, and then take pictures of them and send them to me. So that, what they're doing is they're converting them to crypto cryptocurrency so that it cannot be traced. And I, not me, but I am saying to you, I will reimburse you at my first opportunity. I'm, I'm not going to. So don't buy. Don't buy. I don't have the money. Um, all right, so with that said, I'm going to just set that aside. Let me offer a prayer, and we're going to jump into, um, we're going to jump into, this is, I'm just really excited about this one, which I am usually, so let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for that song, And Can It Be? It's just a, just a reminder of the wonder that you would die for us. Think back to my wedding itself, because that song was sung a cappella as the kind of opening uh, worship opportunity in our, in our wedding ceremony. And we just, we're just blown away and in awe of you and your plan for us. Lord, today, as we, as we go back to about 790 BC and then jump forward to about 60, or about 30, 33, somewhere in there AD, we can see very clearly that your plan has not changed. Help us, your people, remember 
that plan A is, is God's plan, that you don't change, you don't change your mind, and you don't have to adapt to our times. Give me your words so that I can speak what you want your people to hear. Lord, we only want to see what you want us to see. We only want to hear what you want us to hear. We only want to receive what you want us to receive. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So some background. We're going to be in Jonah, and we're going to be in Matthew. And going back and forth, whether you start in Matthew and then go back to Jonah, or if you start in Jonah and, and, and go to Matthew. But since it's old and new, we'll start with the old. We'll move to the newer. A um, little background on Jonah before we go through that. And number one, Jonah was written between 750 and 790 BC. And Jonah was, well, it was a well-known prophet um, to 10 of the tribes of Israel uh, and was often given words from God to speak to his people, calling them to repent. The area, Middle East as a whole, was at peace and had been for quite some time. Both the Assyrian and Syrian kings were very weak, and this let the king of Israel, Jero- I always want to say Jeroboam, Jeroboam um, recover territory that, da- that David and Solomon had had, but had been lost in the meantime. So they were, they were feeling pretty good about themselves as a whole. The country prospered economically and with peace, but spiritually they were broke. I mean, impoverished. The law was the only thing that mattered. Rites and rituals were the only thing that mattered, but there was no relationship with the God of the universe. Justice had become skewed and perverted, and the people were ignoring God more and more, even offering themselves over to the worship of other gods. Eventually, in 722 BC, remember when you're going B.C., the years go the other way. Eventually, in 722 B.C., to punish the Israelites, God allowed the Assyrians to come and conquer them again. But before that, God wanted them to learn a lesson. He wanted wanted them to see that even though they had ongoing, day-to-day, minute-by-minute access to God, as we just talked about with the Shema, that people who do not know God who do not love God, in fact, who think they're better than God and hate God and his people, that they will repent before the people of God. So he sent Jonah to Nineveh, an Assyrian city, which is modern-day Mosul in Iraq. Now, some things about Nineveh that you should know. One, uh, it had been prepared for God's prophet. Now, how? Well, there had been a famine in uh, 765 and another one in 759. And this might not seem like a big preparation for a visit from from God's prophet to us, but back then anything that happened in the celestial bodies was a big deal. And in 763, they had witnessed a solar eclipse. They were one of Israel's greatest enemies, and they had a long, cruel history. In fact, if a visitor from another nation, especially one from Israel, came, they often, I'm not going to get into too much detail here, but they didn't just kill them. They might hang their hide on the front gates of the city. That's how torturous they were. And they had a history of knowing that they are thinking that they were wiser than God and his people. When Jonah arrived on the shore which we'll talk about in a minute, but I'm just giving you this background. He had a 500-mile walk to get to Nineveh. So here's the story of Jonah. We won't read it all, but we will read a certain significant segment here. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, 
the son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away. Now we think about, about that and we think he ran away to, but he ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for, the port, for that port. And after paying a fee, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. And then if you know this story, you know that Jonah gets on ship, God raises up a storm, they're all freaking out, they cast lots to find out whose fault it is that this storm has come up and that they're going to sink. They call on Jonah, he goes, yeah, it's me. He tells them what happened, they throw them into the sea. At his bequest, the storm calms, and then it says that the Lord called up a a, a great fish to swallow Jonah up. And there are people that will argue, even Christians, that will argue that that particular idea of Jonah being in the belly of a fish, some, some translated as whale, is impossible, so this story didn't happen. Um, okay, it might be, scientifically, but so is walking on water, so is raising from the dead, so is taking a couple of fish and a couple of loaves of bread and feeding 5,000 men and then the women and the children on top of that. But this is one of those that we have to decide whether Jesus, when he talks about this, this sign in Jonah, whether he is talking to people that he's present with, talking about these folks judging them, whether he's talking about imaginary people from an imaginary prophet in an imaginary time who imaginarily uh, um, uh, repented and then they are going to imaginarily judge the people of Jesus' time. There is evidence back in the old whaling days in the, in the, in the UK, I don't know if, if it was called, if it was the UK back then or not, but the Great Britain, where people are swallowed up. And I don't know of anyone for three days, but there are people that live more than 24 hours in the belly of a sperm whale. It was about 114 degrees inside. They saw them swallowed up, and then they ended up killing the whale later, bringing it up and slicing it open, and out slid the man. You can decide for yourself whether this is figurative or literal. Me personally, because of how Jesus talks about it, I think Jonah died and then was resuscitated. And it says this in chapter, right at the end of chapter one. Well, that's the the great fish. And then here we go, right at the end of chapter two, and the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Yummy. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Remember, now he's going to travel 500 miles. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. On the first day, Jonah started to the city, started into the city, and he proclaimed 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overturned. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. And then he issued a proclamation to Nineveh. By decree of the king and his nobles, do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. Do not let the beast be covered, or do not let man and, excuse me, but let 
Man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction that he had threatened. Now that in and of itself is a glorious tale. But Jonah is angry with God because God showed mercy on Jonah's enemies. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord. Oh, Lord, is, it not, is, is this not what I said when I was still at home? This is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are gracious and compassionate, that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O oh Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, have you any right to be angry? Notice the silence of Jonah after that question. Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in the shade, or sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord provided a vine and, it, and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the vine so that, it, so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. And he wanted to die, and he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do. I'm angry enough to die. But the Lord said, You've been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight, and it died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? The people of God who know the Shema, who know the commands, who know the law, we're in a significant time of peace and economic prosperity. And they abandoned the Lord. And he sent prophet after prophet after prophet. We see it in Judges. We see it in Kings. We see it in the major and the minor prophets. Time and time and time, again, God comes to his people and says, you're mine. Act like it. And they go, la, 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 la. So God, to teach them a lesson, showed them that people that are wicked and evil and violent and horrible people, people who, who just a few years later are going to capture territory of Israel again, God is saying to them, they will listen to me before you will. Now, when Jesus was talking to the Pharisees in Matthew, and he said, they, they demand a sign. We'll read it in a second. They demand a sign. And he goes, nope, the only sign you're going to get is the sign of Jonah. Now, we hear that, and we think, 
He's talking about the resurrection because he speaks to it. And he says, he says, you know, he was in the belly of a fish for three days and I'll be in the belly of the earth for three days. But it is so much more. What the Pharisees know about the time of Jonah is how wicked and evil and how, how apostate the people of God had become that God would send Jonah to the enemy of God's people and they would repent before the Israelites would. So when Jesus says, I'm going to get, the only sign you'll get is the sign of Jonah, he's saying to the Pharisees, you are just like them. They're not happy. It reads like this. Oh, I'm in the wrong, I've got my wrong, my bad. I marked the wrong spot. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, teacher, we want to see a miraculous sign from you. And just so you know, they aren't actually looking for affirmation. They want proof of who he is. They're not already thinking that, might, that he might be the son of God. They're, they're, they, want, they want a magic trick so that they can think that Jesus is a good parlor trick magician. He answered, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a miraculous sign. But none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Here's the key. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and no one greater than Jonah is here, and, and, one great, and now one greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south, this is the queen of Sheba, who, who, who came up to Solomon's court and would kind of to mock him, but heard his wisdom and ended up changing her ways and repenting. The queen of the south will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came to the, from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now one greater than Solomon is here. And then this is kind of strange transition. When an evil spirit comes out of a man, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house that I left. And when it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied, swept clean, and put in order. Then it goes and it takes with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that man is worse than the first. That is how it will be in this wicked generation. Now, some background on Israel, Jerusalem, the Pharisees at the time. The Greco-Roman world was at peace. It's called the Pax Romana. Ritual and law were the only things that mattered to the Jews anymore. No relationship with God whatsoever. The law and justice had, under the law had become perverted and corrupt. They were standing before God himself when they're having this conversation. God in flesh, Jesus. They're standing before God himself and refuse to recognize him. Jesus is telling them that they think they know better than God. And that the people who have little to no knowledge of God will, be more, quickly, will more quickly repent and be transformed than the ones who have perpetual access to the word of God, the law of God, the heart of God, the mind of God, and the will of God. You see, the old and the new are the same. He says the same kind of things to the people hundreds of years later that he said to the people 
hundreds of year before, years before. He's saying that you think it's bad now because of what you're doing, because of who you are, it's going to get worse. In fact, we know that in 70 AD, these people, these, 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 these particular Pharisees did not repent. And they continued to hang on to the ritual and the right and the perversion of the law of God, the will of God, the desire of God, the heart of God. And Jesus allowed the temple to be destroyed 50-something years later, or 30-something years later. So what does that have to do with us? We've been at peace a long time. There's been no great war, no actual existential threat to us since the 40s. And if you want to count 9-11, okay. We've sent our men and women across the sea, some to Mosul, which is Nineveh, to fight on our behalf. But when's the last time we had a threat here? The stock market in the 80s and the stock market today, even though it, it stinks pretty bad, we don't like it. I don't want to eat cat food in retirement. But you measure it from the 80s to now, we're very prosperous. In fact, everyone in this room is almost certainly in the top 3% of wealthiest people on the planet. When the church, when the people of God, the people of Israel, and still to this day, when the church is offered peace and prosperity for long periods of time, we tend to forget that we need God. We make it about religion and not about faith. So my call to us today is simple. What is it today that is like it was when Jesus was arguing with the Pharisees. And what is it today that is like it was when God sent Jonah to Nineveh? It was about ritual, and they perverted the law, and they perverted the word of God. Does that sound familiar at all in our world today? And they're looking God in the face. And they say, we know better. Now, I am not pointing a finger at any of you. But I do believe that the hope of the world is the church, the bride, the body of Christ. And we, we, in our faithfulness or faithlessness, hold judgment or forgiveness for the world in our hands. We are either faithful and in perpetual relationship with God or every